Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I am talking this morning with an estate planning attorney, Danielle Van S. She is a uh, second time on the show. And uh, we're talking about estate planning for families. Um, you can get Danielle at, da- uh, excuse me, dgvelaw.com. Her office is in downtown Hingham. It's an adorable little office in the second floor of one of those adorable buildings right in the square there across from the little coffee shop. It's just so perfect. Um, I just wanted to do actually we're going to continue our discussion regarding trust but I just quickly wanted to do announcements. So um, Saturday May 18th topic is investments and that's going to be with Mike and Justin tune in to hear another installment of the saga from the world I'm sorry the wide world of investments um, and I just wanted to remind everybody um, hold on May 11th today um, sorry this show is pre-recorded we've already established that so I'm getting very confused but today I just wanted to remind Marshfield residents that today is um, the letter carrier food drive so you would have gotten a little plastic bag in the mail at some point this past week and letter carriers are picking up donations for the food pantry today May 11th um, and if you want more information you can go to marshfieldfoodpantry.org um, and that is it thank you for that so I just wanted to um, we wanted to continue talking about trusts. Um, there are many types of trusts. I mean, I've been, I've 
been in this business for 16 years now and I'm still learning all new things about, you know, all different types of trust and, and you know, obviously laws change and things like that and people develop new strategies and um, so lots of reasons. So I just wanted to give us some time to um, continue our discussions on that. So before the break, we were chatting about um, trusts that are put in place for people that have young children. So for someone to name um, a financial custodian for assets when you have young children. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, thank you, conservator. Um, um, so yeah, that's certainly um, a reason that someone would set up a trust. What are some of the other more common reasons that people need trust? I mean, uh, probate avoidance? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Probate avoidance for privacy, um, to reduce the expenses associated with that, to reduce the amount of time spent yep. processing that. Probate is inherently slow yeah. from the moment that you actually file to open, which is not the minute that you call the attorney's office to start. Yeah. Um, it's about a year before you can close that out. So you're looking at a minimum of 12 to 16 months on okay. average, minimum. Yeah. So I've heard tw- the 12 to 18 has been the time, lo- the, the estimate for a long time, for as long as I can remember. So apparently that's still accurate. Right. Well, the 12 months is statutory. You okay. cannot close it out. You cannot be done with a probate for at least 12 months from the date of death. Okay. So um, from when you start to put the pieces together, when you contact the attorney until it's all done and everything is distributed out and it's closed and you're off the hook as the personal rep, yeah. for, formerly known as testator, yeah. or, I'm sorry, as executor, executor rather, yeah. um, now known as personal representative. It's a solid 12 to 16 months absolute minimum. I think a lot of people are very surprised and frustrated by that. Yeah. They're frustrated by having to gather the financial information and disclose it all to the court. So talk to me about, in my world, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about non-qualified or non-retirement assets. So in my world, that's an account that's like individually owned, a brokerage account that's not in a retirement account, just in your name, or it could be a jointly owned account. Let's talk about an individual account for a moment. That's just easier because then there's no person that potentially survived. So if someone has a million dollars, let's say a a significant sum in a non-retirement account, and it's just owned in their name, Mr. Client, and Mr. Client passes away, no names beneficiaries, he didn't make it a transfer on death account, and it's not inside of a trust. Let's say he has two kids. Talk to me about, is it 12 to 16 months before those kids receive their 50% share, whatever percent share of that asset? That asset would be going through probate, yeah, for sure. And then there are way too many other variables to sound like a lawyer. It depends yeah, yeah, who yeah. else is going to come out and claim against that probate. Yeah. Who are the other creditors of the estate? Is there a mortgage that needs to get paid off? Are there unsecured credit cards out there? Did Mr. Client need any kind of medical care? Is the Department of um, is Mass Health coming back to claim against the estate? What are there's so many yeah. variables? I can't say what's going to happen with yeah. that. I can say for sure that. If the asset is individually owned, not transfer on death, not pay on death, not held in trust, that asset will be going through probate. And probate will be dependent on the value of the assets. So the cost for filing and the complexity of it will be dependent upon what are the assets that are in there as a starting point. Yeah. Most, go ahead. One thing that you raised that I think is really important, I keep seeing people try to do this. I'll leave this account, pay on death, to my adult son. I have three children. I'm going to leave it to my adult son because 
I know he's the one who lives closest. He's the one who helps me out. And he'll use these assets to pay off all my other bills. Not so clean because that's going to be income taxable potentially to the adult son, treated as his. So he might have to pay taxes on it and then turn around and go use it to do all these other things. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a couple issues here. So let's talk about, first, let's talk about a non-retirement account. Let, and let's just say it's a million dollars in cash, right? Let's say this, let's say there's no tax consequences associated. But let's say that Mr. Client had a million dollars in cash in his own name. And let's just say for a minute, no other assets. Maybe, but maybe there were some, maybe there was a credit card bill or some extensive, excuse me, expenses associated with the estate. If that account had been a, tr- if the account doesn't have a names beneficiary, then that becomes an estate-owned account, and the executor uses that account to pay the pay the bills, and that eventually divides it per the will, per the terms of the will. If one, if a will, if there was, if if there was a transfer on death, let's say this was the only asset again, and it was a transfer on death to the two kids, mm-hmm. but there were other. But let's say that there were some expenses that the estate needs to settle. And if it's a transfer on death directly to the kids and they get the money overnight, great. Who, who, who pays the expenses of the estate? What if there was medical bills? What if there was an unpaid credit card debt? Like, th- this is where I get a little confused because if it is a transfer on death and there's no other money in the estate, then son and daughter are responsible for paying the, I don't know. You, there may not be assets there. Okay. Son and, so that's so, um, that's based you, on state law. Some okay. states have laws that will say that an adult child beneficiary is responsible for final affairs okay. of a parent if the parent provided for the child. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of filial responsibility laws that talk about whether or not you should be on the hook for your parents' debts yeah. and your parents' um, expenses. Um, I, th- I would say, again, that that kind of – it. Depends. It's a fact-based okay. situation, but it's possible theoretically, based on what you're saying, that that asset, the, that that estate rather would have no other assets. There would be nothing, and so things might not need to go through probate. They might not get paid. I guess my question was: Does the should someone plan to leave money in the estate versus the having all the money go directly to the beneficiaries? Should they plan to leave some sum in the estate? to settle the expenses of the state without dividing it up too quickly. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Because beneficiaries would sometimes spend the money quickly. Maybe they're paying for college. Maybe they're paying off their mortgage, whatever. And I didn't know if it's prudent for someone to make sure that money stays in the estate while things settle and then it's dispersed. Does that make sense? Does that? It does make sense. Okay. Um, again, I regret sounding like a total lawyer, but I think it depends. <laughs> of course it does. Um, okay. okay. Sometimes yeah. I'll tell a client with adult beneficiaries who are perfectly, you know, mature, responsible, yeah. capable of handling everything. They'll have, for example, a, a five or a $10,000 life insurance policy. And they'll say, well, I made this you know, payable to my son yeah, because he's going to handle everything. And I'll say, no, but let that pay into your estate. That's where the assets are going to come from okay. to pay your final expenses and to pay for administering the estate rather than having to go to your son, having him blow it and there be yeah. no more money left. Yeah. Um, again, because it is potentially income taxable to the son as well, which right. is not the intention. People right. don't think about that. Right. Right. They think I'm just, you know, they think about the management side without the, these other implications. Right. So if the sole purpose of that is 
just plain pay the final affairs of the estate, then yes, maybe it makes more sense to have it payable to the estate. Okay. Um, but again, it depends what's in there, who's responsible, okay. is there a trust? If yeah. there's a trust, there's no need to have assets in the estate. You can have a full, you should have a fully funded trust. Yeah. If we're talking about a revocable living trust. Yeah. Have it be 100% fully funded with every single asset you own, except for maybe like cars. Um, yeah. And life insurance held in a different kind of a trust and all the rest okay. of that. But, yeah. but bank accounts, brokerage accounts, definitely have them be held in the revocable living trust and allow the trustee to be able to loan money to the personal representative of the estate oh, okay. to pay those assets. Okay. It's almost always the same person. Right. With the same powers right. doing the same thing. Right. Just different titles based on the different documents. Okay. L- um, we were talking about benef- – let me just come back to beneficiaries for a moment. So I have heard – my clients many times when I'm asking them about how would you like to name your beneficiaries or, you know, maybe assets are transferring in and we're renaming beneficiaries. It's it's very, well, it's not uncommon for someone to say, I'm just going to name my oldest son or my oldest daughter or this, you know, this person. And I know that they'll divide it between the rest of the family. I know that they'll do yeah, the right thing. No. And I always say, of course you trust them to do that but when you're talking about qualified monies which which in most cases have tax implications to draw funds out all except the Roth um, that you you can't you can't or you really shouldn't do yeah, that please it's not don't that you do, can't that. do that is you really shouldn't do that there are significant tax ramifications especially if you're talking about a significant sum of money if you're talking about a thousand bucks okay maybe this is not a big deal but if you're talking about a significant sum of money there are potentially very significant negative tax consequences to that one person um, and not to mention gift tax consequences estate tax consequences later on in their life. Um, so I I, cr- I cringe when I hear that or when I see that, um, you know, that they have one beneficiary named, and, but they have three kids. And I'm kind of kind of what what were you thinking there? So um, any comments from your side of the table or no, this? exactly the yeah. same. I see that most frequently when people try to avoid the hassle of working with an attorney and take it upon themselves to do these. We, this is the self-help or DIY estate planning. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just make all these accounts pay on death to the one son who lives nearby who's going to yeah. hand or the daughter who always helps me out with my bills. But yeah. It's not that there is an equal love for the other children, and it causes just a nightmare host of problems. Yeah. We can all have a nickel jar in our offices for the, they'll all work it out. Yeah. They'll work it out just I fine. I know, I know, yeah. And and of course they're tr- and of course if you trust them to, they would, but it's not the right way to set it up for Well, and the other thing yeah. that I always tell clients is very well-intentioned, loving families sometimes are not at their best when someone dies. Yeah. So you mix money yeah. and stress and emotion and sorrow and grieving and all of those things together. And you have a recipe for some serious family drama. And more often than not, I have people tell me that they have experiences in their own families where certain family members stop speaking to each other permanently. It's really sad. Right. So we can avoid that by just doing it the right way up front. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So so the from from what I know, the big reasons that someone would have a trust are when they have minor children right. and assets that they want to pass to minor children. Um, we just talked about probate avoidance. Right. Um, how about special needs? 
Absolutely. Touch on that for a moment. Absolutely. If somebody has a beneficiary that um, has special needs, that is particularly if that beneficiary is qualifying for needs based aid or may need to qualify for needs based aid in the future, Mm -hmm. then um, it could disqualify the beneficiary from being able to access those benefits mass health and things to like receive, that yep. right or SSDI yep. Yep. Um, to be to receive a big chunk of money outright so yep. there is a mechanism to make sure that that beneficiary with special needs is able to benefit from a higher quality or higher standard of living by enhancing and supplementing the benefits that they're otherwise receiving rather than you know causing these unintended consequences right um Another reason would be to incentivize beneficiaries to make sure that you're kind of encouraging them to do things or not do things. So if you have beneficiaries, I've seen too many, unfortunately, where there are adult children who've been suffering from substance abuse. Mm. We know this is a national problem Mm -hmm. um, and my practice is not unique in having seen that up close. So we can say that a trustee can manage assets and pay for substance abuse treatment for Mm. a beneficiary, but let's maybe not give it to them outright even if it's an adult not a minor yeah um and then of course um tax planning in massachusetts we still have a one million dollar threshold for filing an estate tax return so if you die with less than a million dollars no harm no foul you don't need to file that return it's game over right yeah but if you die with a million and one dollars or maybe nine hundred ninety nine thousand, you're still filing that return and then we're looking at how far over that you are to determine what the estate tax bite is going to be. And so frequently people will want to structure their plans in a way that um, they're able to reduce the impact of that estate yeah. tax bite. They might be perfectly fine with contributing to society through taxes, but... Um, <laughs> if you can minimize it, why not? Yeah. Most people would prefer to direct it, even if they're comfortable sharing what they have at the end of the day. Um, yeah. They would prefer to set up um, scholarships or to benefit a charity or do something else with those assets rather than just having them pay into a generic pool. Yeah. So, can you... If it's a... Uh, if it's a married couple and each person in that married couple has a $1 million Massachusetts estate tax exemption. So the first million dollars for each one of those, each one of the uh, people that married couple, the first million dollars is no Massachusetts estate tax. Not entirely. Okay, so uh, thank you because I feel like I've heard different answers to this and, and I'm, I would like for you to help clarify what when the first person dies. Yep. And you can pass unlimited amount of money to your spouse, and there's no estate tax. Provided your spouse is a U.S. citizen. Thank you. Yep. Um, it's always a... But at but where, I, where I'm confused <laughs> is at the second death, right. let's say they're, that they're still worth $2 million, their assets are still worth $2 million. That's where I need your right. assistance. So I think the reason for the confusion is because you hear about this much more often at the federal level. At the federal level, it is a true exemption, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, and currently, a married couple can leave $22.4 yeah. million, whatever it is, indexed to inflation. I right. <laughs> and I can count on one hand the number yep. of clients I have that have yep. that type of assets. Um However, in Massachusetts, it's not a true exemption, meaning that rather than that first million dollars being completely exempted from 
paying estate taxes. It's just a threshold to test for whether or not you should file. And if you need to file, we're going to go back to dollar one to find out how much total you have. Okay. So it's not a true exemption in that respect. It's okay. just a threshold test. As with regard to the married couple and the kind of coupons, if you will, against paying the estate tax, yeah. either at the federal or the state level. At the federal level, a few years back, they tied it, the, the federal government, tie, uh, the Congress, tied it together. So your coupon against paying the estate tax and your husband's was automatically combined together for you. It's This is the concept of okay. portability of the okay. estate tax exemption. Okay. So at the federal level, for the past um, seven years or so, that's automatic. Okay. In Massachusetts, it's not automatic. Oh, okay. We right. do not have portability of the estate tax exemption for spouses within Massachusetts. So you still have to do some fancy trust footwork in order to take advantage of the exemption of the first spouse to die. Okay, good. Thank you for clarifying that. So if you're worth, if you and your husband or you and your wife are worth $2 million between the two of you, including real estate, including life insurance proceeds, and... You, you should still do estate planning because you won't necessarily both be able to use that million dollar oh, exemption because if one outlives the other, that second person doesn't have a $2 million That's exemption exactly or right. forgiveness. Okay. Right. It's okay. delayed. The estate taxes will be delayed until after the death of the second yeah. spouse. Yeah. Um, they won't be due. A lot of people worry about that. Will yeah. I have to pay them immediately? No, they'll be delayed until after the death of the second spouse. But yes, yeah. it will be the full amount. So even you know young, younger couples with kids that maybe don't have a lot of asset, traditional assets in their name, maybe they don't have a sizable 401k yet or much equity in their home, if you have a million dollar life insurance policy or two million on each of you, this is planning that should be done. And, right. and people might think, well, I don't have any assets, I don't need to do any estate planning, but if you've got a significant sum of life insurance, right. correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you should be having these conversations with an attorney. Yeah, absolutely. If, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the time to get that life insurance, as you know, is when you're young and healthy. So yeah. it's funny because it's everybody has assets. It's just where they are, right? Yeah. And so you have to do something with them. It doesn't matter if they're very small or they're very big or whether they're in a 401k, an IRA, 403b, or life insurance, your your equity in your home, whatever. Yeah. There's something to deal with. And so it's not that there's one class of people that needs to do this type of planning and everybody else is exempt. Yeah. Everybody needs to do it. It's yeah. just that there isn't a one-size-fits-all for what type of plan or what what the advice would be right with regard to life insurance please 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 my PSA if I may um, if you have a sizable life insurance policy or if you're considering getting a sizable life insurance policy talk to your lawyer first not later okay um, because because if it makes sense if let's say we have um, a married couple like you just said, with maybe a little bit in retirement, a little bit in home equity, a little bit in the bank, but really the vast bulk of what would be taxable assets in the estate. And and life insurance, you always hear it's not taxable. It's, it's not, not income, income taxable. taxable. Yeah, right. Taxable you don't have estate, it yet. Right. It's like monopoly money. It yeah. doesn't exist. You right. don't have it. But if you die, somebody's got that now, yeah. right? Yeah. So of course it's taxable at that point because now estate, it's right. real. Yeah. Um, so if you have a million dollars in life insurance, we can take that million dollars and lock it up in something called an irrevocable life insurance trust. Yeah. And we won't miss it because who cares? Because it's funny it's money. Really it doesn't exist. It's you don't have it. Die, right. Yeah. You're, not, you're not gonna miss it. You're not missing out on investment. But there's a three year look back on that transfer. 
So if you place the policy first, and then you try to move that policy into an irrevocable life insurance trust, you must outlive that transfer by three years, or the full amount of the policy gets pulled back into your taxable estate. A three-year look back. Otherwise, we'd all do it on our death. That's probably something that I read once, and I forgot that. Okay, so three-year look back. So it's better to set up the trust first and have the trustee of that trust purchase the islet or or purchase the insurance policy in the islet. So the islet irrevocable life insurance. Yep. Trust. So that way... There's um, no look back, you mean? Well, or? so the way it's phrased under the law is whether you've had any incidents of ownership over the policy. So applying for and placing the policy, you've got your hands all over that. Your fingerprints are all over it. But if instead you're just the insured life and the trustee is the one who applied and the trustee is the one who opens the accounts yep. and does everything... Um, yeah then your hands are not all over it and you don't have to worry about that three-year look back. Interesting, Danielle. See that? I learned something new today. Um, okay. Um, oh, I had another thought on that and I lost it. Okay. So anyway, that was irrevocable. Oh, what I was going to touch on is um, the, we were talking about Massachusetts estate tax, the reason for the irrevocable life insurance trust to get right. it out of someone's estate. That way it's not taxable to the estate. Which, like you said, is for most people at the federal level is not an issue unless you're in, you have many millions. But at, in Massachusetts, it is. Um, Massachusetts estate tax. We have a tiered schedule that I want to say goes up to like eighteen percent. Sixteen. Sixteen percent is the top tier. Correct. Um, so for so for assets above the exemption or above that million, it's a tiered schedule. I couldn't quote it, but um, I want to say if. It's what, I have less the than chart 10%. in my yeah. It's like I always have it in my hand. The first million over the million is like less than ten percent or something. Yeah, something it's like a that. sliding yeah. scale and it goes up. Sixteen percent is the maximum yeah. Yeah. amount. Um, a lot of my clients will fall in somewhere between you know four and twelve percent. Yeah. Um, okay. They do get up to sixteen percent, and sometimes people don't have taxable estates at all in Massachusetts. But yeah. it, there are a lot of people, average, regular, normal yeah. people. Well, who if get you there. have a half a million dollar home or three quarters of a million dollar home with no mortgage, you're almost there, right? right. Just with, just or with your just real estate. Or just the life insurance, right. even if you don't have all that equity yet, just the life insurance alone sometimes will put people over. Right, right. Um, and we could do a whole another show on the topic of estate tax planning because there are specific trusts related to that and using up the marital, I mean, using up the uh, exemption and providing assets for your spouse and kids and things like that. But probably too much for the next five minutes. Well, yeah, and that, that would all just be a part yeah. of a, a standard trust. So what yeah. I said, I just I try and determine right off the bat whether my clients need a will-based plan or a trust-based plan. Those are the types of things that I'm looking at. And the reason I'm yeah. asking for all their financial information information to go way back to the beginning, why am I asking the 20 or 100 questions up front, is because before they ever come in to see me, I want to know, do they have a taxable estate? Is it just mass taxable or do we care about federal also? Do they have minor children, beneficiaries with special needs? I'm looking for all that stuff before we ever sit down so that rather than kind of wasting time asking those questions right there, we can start to dig into, okay, here's what I see. Now, what do we do about it? Yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier, but I think one of the more common reasons that someone might set up a trust is, you alluded to it earlier, but you know what, what you'll read about in my industry anyway, is the ability to control beyond the grave. And so even, you know, we talked about a trust for if you have minor children and, and mm-hmm. naming a financial um, conservator, is that what you call it? Um, even if you, but even if you have adult children, you know, are they responsible with money? If you have a significant, you know, estate and, it, you know, are do you, 
do you want to be able to control to a degree their ability to access the funds at your death, you know, regardless of their age? Um, not uncommon for people to have trusts that that provide for ability to access funds at different ages, um, you know, 30, 40, 50, um, or, you know, in ability to access income only and not just principal from the trust. But I see that a lot in my world that people, for whatever reason, you know, no judgment on my side of the table, of course, but um, for whatever reason, just want an ability to control, I guess, to a degree, release of their assets when they're not around? I don't know. You so, pro- I'm sure you have different terminology. No, it's it's funny. A lot of my clients will actually bristle at the concept of that. They don't want to control okay. their children from beyond the grave. Yep. Um, I think all of us that are parents hope that at some point, if we have typically developing children who are capable of doing so, that at some point they're mature, responsible humans who get a yep. job, hippie, and do your thing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But... That said, there are other reasons beyond a parent's desire to control from the grave. For example, you might want to protect your adult child who's totally mature and responsible from potentially losing these assets that you've worked so hard to earn and transfer to him or to her from something like divorce. There you go. Yep. Or a lawsuit, a judgment, a car accident, some reason the child starts a business that goes sideways. Um, You might want to provide the child with a cushion, a nest egg. So the assets aren't there for the kid to live off of. This isn't the, you know, Paris Hilton trust fund baby setup that you're trying to create. This is this is supposed to supplement and supplant what your child is capable of earning on his or her own. Yeah. And so um, some people will say, you know, by the time they're 30, let them have it all. They'll figure it out. And other people will say, you know what, Um, if my daughter might get divorced, that might be when she's closer to 40. And so I really want to lock this up tight because I want to make sure that if that day ever comes, she's protected. Yeah. What are statistical divorce ages, right? Probably mid-30s. Right? So, yeah, so it's funny. Everybody comes about this decision-making based on what they've seen in their own families and they've yeah. experienced in their own lifetimes. And so I find that people who've seen these horror stories um, or they've seen people suffer, they want to address yeah. that. Yeah. And people who had it all together and figured it out and were mature and responsible young expect that their children will do the same. And so we come back to why do we review this every three years? This we don't changed. know. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen. So yeah. we just keep checking in. Yeah. Um, All right, we'll take a break here in a moment. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm talking this morning with Danielle Van S. of DGVE Law. D like Danielle, G like whatever your middle name is. Girl, G like girl, (laughs) V like like Victor, E like Edward. Uh, DGVE Law, uh, based in Hingham, and you can find her at dgvelaw.com. And we're talking about estate planning for families. I think after the break, we'll get into um, what can go wrong, I guess. That's sort of like people might learn better from that versus here's what you should do. I'm telling you what you should do. Well, here's what we've seen go wrong. And that might be, I don't want to scare people too much, but maybe just a little bit to do the the right thing. Um, So we'll get into that after the break. We'll take a quick one and come right back. (laughs) 